Amen? Hey, um, <clears throat> a little bit different here today. I thought, because this is uh, my first time uh, up preaching uh, this year, uh, that we would start with a countdown. And um, let's start. Eight, seven... Happy New Year! Happy New Year! Happy New Year! All right. Should old acquaintance be forgotten, but brought to mind? Should old acquaintance be forgot and days of old lang syne? For old lang syne, my dear, for old lang syne, should take a cup kindness yet for days of old lang syne. <laughs> uh, I'd still only give myself a six out of ten for that, but that was way better than nine o'clock. So, uh, <clears throat> well, that was a crazy way to start all of that, but um, there's a point uh, behind all of that, and is it a bit of a, a different uh, morning today? Not uh, going to like just get o- open the word and work through a, a passage as we would normally do uh, this morning, but more of a series of reminders, things that we need to know as we enter into 2023. And I was thinking about that song, Old Lang Syne, and thanks for singing it out. Um, but uh, how many people, like when you sing those lyrics, you have no idea what you're actually singing? Like, have, just be honest right now, just say, like, they're old Scottish Gaelic words, and we don't really have a clue what they're saying, and I don't either. And um, so I went to uh, Britannica.com and I looked at this, and it just says that the lyrics um, of Old Lang Syne are about old friends having a drink and recalling adventures they had long ago. Did you know that? No, you didn't. No, you, you had no idea. So, and, and I like that. I like the idea of like getting together with friends and thinking back to the past and reflecting on the great adventures we might have had in the past. It's always fun to kind of look back and, and reflect on all that kind, of, that kind of thing. But what's more exciting than that, what's more exciting than looking at the past and reflecting on old adventures is to plan new ones. Wouldn't you say? Yeah, eight or nine of you are excited about new adventures based on that response. Um, but, but really, that's what we want to be thinking about today is these new adventures. That's something we need to talk about this morning because we're stepping into this new year, three Sundays in, and we're setting course on all the possible adventures that we could have in the coming 12 months. And, and this morning, so I want to talk about that, but not so much the adventures themselves, but I want to talk about the people we need to be to have those adventures. What kind of church do we need to be to set out on great adventures uh, for the Lord? And the, uh, the biblical fact is this, we have been entrusted by God with so much. And that phrase, entrusted by God, is a really critical one to understand what we want to talk about here today. Let's determine, in fact, to have incredible adventures in 2023 that will expand God's kingdom on earth and and bless the people we're ministering to and bless us because we're having these adventures. But in order to do that, we have to be responsible with what's been entrusted to us. And that's what we want to look at in the scriptures before we get into kind of all the other things that I want to talk about here today, but Matthew chapter 25 is where we want to spend a few moments and just working through this because this is now foundational for everything else that needs to be uh, said here. So Matthew 25, this is uh, verses 14 to 30, and Jesus is, is talking about this whole idea of being entrusted with something from God in this parable, and, it's, and I have to tell you right up front, like it's a very punchy parable. It's going to wound some of you to hear it. And it's a parable that speaks about the return, his return, Christ's return 
at the end of the age. So something we're still even waiting for now. Verse 14 says this. We're just going to work through it as I read it. But verse 14, Jesus says this, for it, and talking about when he says it there, he's talking about his own return. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them, there's the phrase, entrusted to them his property. And so we have this landowner, this wealthy person, this man, he's a master, he has servants. He's heading out of town. It's going to be a lengthy journey. He takes three of his trusted servants and he entrusts his property to them. He he takes money and he gives it to them with an assumption that they're going to do something with this. In fact, that word entrust that we see in verse 14 means to hand over or to convey something to someone. There's, there's a passing off, a handing off, and particularly a right or an authority. And what we see here now is a right to use the master's wealth or the authority to act on his behalf with respect to his wealth. Another way to say it is that, that the master was committing his wealth to his servants. The New King James Version has the word delivered there. He delivered his wealth over to them that they would be responsible with it. So verse 15, each of these three servants, to one he gave five talents, and talents is a unit of of, uh, currency, unit of money. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, each according to his ability. Important principle there that not everybody has the same measure of talents or gifts. Some people have greater talents, some people have lesser talents. There are people who have greater talents to lead worship, and we should use them to lead worship. And then there are people like me who, you know, tried to lead through old Lang Syne and didn't do a terribly good job of it. So I have a lesser talent in that area. And so some with greater talents, some with lesser talents. Notice verse 15 continues, then he went away. And then we see what each of these three servants did with what had been entrusted to them. Verse 16, he who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So I don't know if like, if he went into the stock market and he bought stocks and he sold stocks and he watched the market and he saw what was happening, or maybe he invested in a business and then he sold it. But whatever he did, he multiplied what he had. But he, 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 was, he was investing, he was trading. Verse 17, so also he who had the two talents made two talents more. So I don't know if he started a business or whatever he did, but he multiplied, he doubled what he had been given. Verse 21, sorry, um, verse 18. But he who had received one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. So this is the guy who's like, he's just gonna hide in a mattress, he's gonna put in a cash box and stow it away in the back of a, of a, of a closet. Like he's not gonna do anything with it. He's just going to, when the master comes back, he's going to pull that out. He's going to give it back to him so that he knows he took no risks and and he's returning what the master gave to him in full, but not having multiplied it at all. So two of them double the investment and one we know is going to be returning the investment as is when the master returns, returning the principal, verse, verse 19. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. Verse 20, and he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents here. I have made five talents more. And his his master said to him, verse 21, well done. These are very familiar words, right? Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little, and I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Now, these are words that every Christian would want to hear on the day that we pass from this life and into the presence of God. You want to hear the well done, good and faithful servant words coming from Jesus. Verse 21, the master said to him, oh, that's, that's the phrase, verse 22, and he also, he also had given, who had the two talents, came forward saying, master, you delivered to me two talents here. I've made two talents more. And this is where, see, the expectation is not that he produces a certain number, but, but only that he's using what he was given. So he's not being measured against the guy with the five. He's, he's being measured against what he had been entrusted with. And so it's always only about, you know, what are you doing with the thing that God has given to you? Again, it goes back to what we saw, that it, that it was each, verse 14, it was each according to their ability. His ability wasn't as strong as the guy who was given the five, but he was still to be faithful with what he had been given. 
He says, here, I've made two talents more. Verse 23, his master said to him, the same words. Now, he only produced two talents. The other guy produced five. But he had been faithful with what he had been given. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. So wonderful affirmations and the handing out of rewards for those who had faithfully used what the master had given to them. Verse 24, he also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. I mean, I know you're hard. I know you're powerful. I know you're rich. I know you're wise. I know that you have power over me. I know all these things about you. So I was afraid, verse 25. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what's yours. He returned the principal investment to him, the one talent. Now this, obviously, in the, in the parable, this is a terrible excuse. And the master isn't happy at all with what this one servant has brought to him, even though he's getting back his initial investment. He hasn't lost anything. But his master answered in verse 26, you wicked and slothful servant. Listen to the, the harshness of those words. He's wicked. Slothful. He's, he's lazy. He's, he's squandered the thing that God, that the, the, the master had given to him. You wicked and slothful servant. You knew I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. You should have at least put it in a savings account. And it would have got 0.25% interest. Or you could have put it into a GIC and got 4.5% interest. I would have at least had some interest. I would have had my principal plus a little bit. Then at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest, he says, verse 28. So, so take the talent from him and give it to him who has the 10 talents. Now, this is harsh. This is a startling story, but absolutely necessary to make the point that Jesus was making. Jesus makes this point very clear in verse 29. For to everyone who has, and by that he means the assumption in that phrase is to everyone who has been entrusted with something and has multiplied it. To everyone who has, you've multiplied it. I gave you something, you made more of it. To everyone who has, will more be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, who, who was given something and didn't make anything out of it, even what he has, will be taken away. And here's where we find out in verse 30, the very nature of this one servant. He cast this worthless servant into the outer darkness. And in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. In other words, the one who does nothing with what they were given by God has proven him or herself to be unsaved to be an unbeliever, not actually belonging to the master, not being part of his household, even though physically he was part of the household, physically he'd been given something from God, but he's not genuinely a believer. He's cast out from that. That's the shocking message of this, this parable and, 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 and the message for us, the hard truth and pushing this right up front in this message. The hard truth is if you're sitting around doing nothing for Jesus, and you're only expressing, and I'm going to put it in quotes, you're only expressing your faith in a passive way, then how in the world would you consider yourself a genuine believer? On what basis? Entrust it with the gospel and doing nothing with it? The parable, Jesus says, then you have no claim on being a Christian. Now, while you're wrestling with the implications of what that means for you personally, you have to wrestle that personally yourself. Let me say, 
And then this portal and this parable should be applied very personally. Every one of us should see it that way. But let me say that it must also apply to local churches collectively. That as the body of Christ, we should be asking the same question. We've been entrusted with much. What are we doing with it? Are we taking the five talents, the two talents, or the one talent? Are we really using it for the Lord or are we burying it in the ground? And I don't, I don't want to bash any other churches, but I have lots of experience. 21 years as lead pastor here, eight years as an associate pastor prior to that. I've been in ministry a long time. I've known a lot of pastors. I've known a lot of churches. And there are many local churches that are not using what God has given to them to fulfill the mission. Churches that have been entrusted with so much, but have taken what God has given to them and and, and literally built, you know, buried it into the ground of the foundation of their own church building. And instead of taking what God has given to them and multiplying it out, they're just keeping their, their church very comfortable for the ones who are already there. And they will at some point give an account for all of that. My concern is for this local church because I don't want to be like that. I don't want us to be like that. Sam Rayner said this, God will not honor a church with unusual capacity that does not attempt to multiply, plant, and revitalize. And I, I believe we've been entrusted with a lot. I don't know if we've been entrusted with unusual ca capacity, but I do believe that as a church, we have been entrusted with significant capacity. Do you believe that? God has given us a significant capacity as a church. And in fact, we could break it down in a number of areas so that we're all very clear of what we're talking about in terms of what God has given to us, what he's entrusted to us. The, the first one would be the finances that, that God has given to us. The reality is, and most of you wouldn't know this, we don't talk a lot about it. We're going to do a report, a financial report on 2022 in a few weeks' time when the dust settles on uh, the last fiscal year. And we're going to do a little presentation on what our budget for the current year is. But, but I can tell you right now that in terms of just pure revenues, just offerings that came in over the course of the year, we brought in more than $1.6 million last year. Now, I don't, I don't know about you, but that, significant, that sounds significant, doesn't it? $1.6 million. Well, we're responsible for that. We've brought in a budget for this coming year, very similar number, $1.6 million, a little bit more than that. And, and we're believing God's going to give us that and that we need to be faithful with that amount of money. We have a facility, in addition to the finances, we have a facility, we have 32,000 square feet of space in our two buildings between the office and this facility. We sit on 2.4 acres, which isn't a, a, a lot of land. There are a lot of churches in town that have a lot more land than that, but this is what God has given to us. In addition to the square footage and the acreage that we're on, it's really about the location right in the heart of our city. And always asking ourselves a question, are we using this acreage, are we using these, this square footage, and are we using this property that God has given to us right in the heart of Barry? are we using it for his glory? Are we leveraging this for the sake of the kingdom of God with what has been entrusted to us? Are we multiplying what we have? So finances, facility, another um, uh, thing that God has entrusted to us is influence. And a lot of this has to do with our experience, our history, what we've been through as a church, the longevity of our church, the longevity of our leadership team, the role that we have in our network. And when you're entrusted with that kind of, the kind of history we've had, the kind of influence that we have, the responsibility then is, are you using that to multiply that out, to mentor other churches and other pastors to help others because of the history you've been through? Another thing we've been entrusted with is, is people. Again, it's not something that we talk a lot about, and uh, you wouldn't necessarily know this unless you ask the question, but because we have two services, because we have people who watch the live stream every week, because we have people who are watching on demand, because we have people who miss any given Sunday or aren't as regular, but we, we believe we have in excess of 1,300 people who call Harvest their church home. This is their church, 1,300 people. And that 1,300 people they all have gifts. They all have passions in ministry. They all have connections in the community. And God wants us 
has entrusted us with all of that and wants us to use that for his glory. And then most importantly, we've been entrusted with the gospel. We've been entrusted with a message, the message of Jesus Christ, of his life, of his ministry, of his message, of his crucifixion and his resurrection, of his ascension into glory and of his his coming, his return. We've been entrusted with Christ. And we are to be brokers of Christ to a world that desperately needs the mission and ministry. So now the big question, in light of everything I've just said, and and, and this is an important question that we all need to be asking at this point, is what are we going to do with what God has entrusted to us? If, If it's true that he's entrusted us with significant capacity, What are we going to do with that? That's the pressing question that's in front of us at this point. And and I want to be clear who I'm talking to here. I'm talking to our church family, and I'm talking to those who are considering becoming part of our church who might benefit from hearing these things to say, you know what, that's the kind of church I want to be a part of. Um, and, and, and if you're a non-believer, you're not yet a follower of Jesus Christ, then the invitation would be to give your life to Jesus Christ, be baptized as a testimony to your faith in Christ, and then come and join us on this incredible adventure that God has put in front of us. And so as we, as we do all of that, as we think about all of these things, what I have for you today, uh, what will we do with what's been given to us? I have a 15-point message for you right now. And I haven't given you any of them yet. So I mean, we're already like well into this. So um, I'm not even kidding. Five, four, three, two, one. 15 points is what I have for you today. The first is this. Five expectations to meet. Five expectations that we would expect every member of Harvest to meet. And so let's, let's get this one out of the way first. Giving, okay? We expect you to give an offering to support the ministry that we have. We'll talk about this one right up front. We expect you to give some really key passages if you're taking notes here. Um, Matthew 6, 21, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. The thing that you spend your money on, just evaluate your own budget. Just go back and look at your bank statements for the last month or two and say, what do I actually love? Because the thing you actually love is in your bank statement. Where your Where your treasure is, where you spend your money, the things you buy, the things you spend your money on, that's where your heart actually is. Um, A couple of other verses here, references to jot down, Proverbs 11, 24, and 25, and then also 2 Corinthians 9, uh, 67. And both of those uh, passages, one in the Old Testament, one in the New Testament, speak about, you know, if you give generously, God's going to bless you. And that's not prosperity gospel. That doesn't mean that if you, you know, if you drop a big offering in the plate that God's going to bring, you know, multiplied millions back to you or even thousands. Like that's not, that's prosperity preaching. That's garbage. Don't listen to that stuff. That's not what we preach here, but God will bless you in a way of his choosing if you're faithful and generous in your giving. And so I want to say a couple of uh, things here. Now, again, we're going to get into uh, in an elder update in early February, we'll give you a little bit more a picture of the actual picture of the budget. But I will tell you this, that our 2023 budget, just reading the times and looking what's happening in the economy, we don't want to make any assumptions. We just haven't increased the budget from last year to this year. So it's going to come in as a fairly lean budget. And um, we are going to be, however, proceeding with the renovation of the last bit of space in our building that's not renovated, which is the second floor. Some of you don't even know we have a second floor, but we do. It's a partial second floor, 5,000 square feet uh, over in this part of the building. And it still looks like a 1992 dance hall. Um, Casino, mirrored ceilings, dance floor, bar, cheesy chandeliers. It's got it all. And um, we have the money set aside for that. So that's not going to come out of our general fund. It's not part of the budget for next year. It's money that we've already set aside to do that. And I want to say some other things. Like pre-pandemic, we were, we were pretty well positioned to go into the lockdowns because you were already giving 80% of your money. was already being done digitally. You were doing it online. Uh, the rest of that has really been pushed. We have you know, offering boxes at the back of the room. But about 1% or 2% of our offering comes in through the boxes each week, and about 98 or 99% comes in 
uh, through online giving. So thank you for your faithfulness to that. It's uh, helpful as we uh, seek to carry on this ministry. And in April uh, 2021, this is the most I've talked about money up front in a long, 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 long time, because in, in April of 2021, we just decided to not mention the offering anymore in our services. Of course, we had stopped passing the baskets in 2020 uh, when the lockdowns happened, and we just decided we're never going back to that. And in fact, we're going to just not mention the offerings at all. And so there's no slide, there's no announcement, there's no talking about the offering, and God has just been faithful through your giving over that almost two years um, now to, uh, to continue to give. And uh, we're grateful that, for, that God has continued to supply our needs through your faithful giving. So we'll, we'll be responsible with whatever we get, but we're not going to make it part of what we talk about when we gather together for worship on Sundays. Now, by my not mentioning the offering, I don't want to give you the impression that we don't need your offerings, because that would be a false assumption on your part. Uh, we do actually need the offerings. We need the giving of God's people to support the ministry uh, that we're carrying on here. Um, and I don't want to communicate that giving is not important. It is an act of worship, but it's an act of worship that you can carry out privately on your own without us having to make a big deal of it in our, in our gatherings together. It is an essential part of what it means to be a disciple of Christ. And if you want to know more about that, if you say, well, like, I've never really looked at the biblical teaching around all of that, there's a four-part series that I did in, in 2016, so six years ago. It's called Jesus on Money, and that series, there, there's a link to that in, at hbc.info in the sermon notes, and you can go to that and watch those videos. There's all kinds of notes there as well and other helps to get you a, a greater understanding of what it means uh, to handle your finances as a dis disciple of Christ. The series is not just about giving. It's about how you as a disciple of Christ handle all of your money, and I know that'll be helpful uh, to you. All right. Five expectations to meet. We've done one. We're in trouble. All right, here we go. Number two, we expect to be able to communicate with you, uh, which means that we will continue to deliver information to you in various ways, many, many different ways. We'll probably over-communicate with you, but we need you to read what we put out. We need you to actually listen to the communications that are being put out because communication only happens when it's sent received and then, you know, understood. And so we, we really need you to understand, to hear and understand what we're communicating to you about all the different things that are happening here at the church. And the ways that we communicate with you are, we have our website, we have our microsite, hbc.info, which I've already mentioned. Uh, we have verbal announcements in the services. And some of you are going like, when do they do the verbal announcements? During the first song when you're walking in. They're just before that. And so, you know, if you're coming in in the second, first, or second song, you'd never know we do announcements, but we do every single week. And so, um, you know, you can, you can come a little earlier and hear those announcements. Uh, what, else, uh, what else do we do? Um, we have our YouTube channel, which has all of our um, videos on it. We have our e-bulletin, which goes out on Fridays. Hopefully, you're reading that. The Prayer Matters, that goes out on Thursdays. And then internal, internal emails that go out, depending on what ministry groups that you're a part of, in serving teams especially, or if your kids in Harvest Kids or in youth, you know you're getting emails about all of that as well. And, and just to illustrate like how challenging this can be for us as a staff team, as we try to communicate things with you, um, like on, on Sunday, January 1st, just two, two Sundays ago, um, we, had, we had one family service at 10 a.m., not the 9 and 11 thing. We did a 10 a.m. service. And we started announcing that 10 a.m. service, one 10 a.m. service. We started announcing that in November. And like every week, we were reminding you in the e-bulletin, there were verbal announcements about it. We did social media. We sent out direct emails. It was on our website. Like just everywhere we could possibly put it, we just made it super clear. One service on January 1st at 10 a.m. and that there was no harvest kids. No, har just three words. No harvest kids. I mean, that's like super easy to understand. I mean, I make my living interpreting the Bibles. Like I take words and interpret them for people. But I really think that no harvest kids doesn't really need a whole lot of interpretation, does it? Do you think it does? No harvest kids. That just means that on that Sunday, there's going to be thank you. I mean, that's all I'm saying. It's just easy to communicate. But on that Sunday, what happened? There were, people, there were people showing up looking for Harvest Kids. Why? Because they hadn't seen any of the 4,268 communications that we put out about that. And if that was anybody in this room, I'm not trying to 
embarrass you because I don't even know who you are. So um, I don't know who showed up looking for Harvest Kids, but there was none that morning. But anyway, just please read the stuff we put out um, because I know it's going to help you feel a part of all of this. All right, third, we expect you to be personally practicing spiritual disciplines. And, and what I want to say about this is it's not my job to live your Christian life. Like, I'm going to point you to Jesus. I'm going to teach you from the Bible. But ultimately, you're the one who's going to stand before Jesus at the, at the end of the age. Like, I'm not going to stand there. I'm not responsible for your Christian life in that sense. Like, you have to be responsible for your own personal spiritual growth. And you're going to get that through practicing spiritual disciplines. Back in October, we had Daryl Dash here. He did two uh, Sundays for us, did an amazing job of laying out the eight habits for growth. Many of you bought his two books, and I know that's going to be a great benefit to you, to those of you who read those and begin to put that into practice. And so it's up to you to be regularly reading the Word, regularly having a prayer time, and being uh, in worship and the other spiritual disciplines that are going to help you, um, uh, you know, grow in Christ. And I'm going to say this, like the pandemic, the pandemic made many of us lethargic spiritually. And it's been hard for some people to kind of get back after that. And it's almost like, we, you know, we went on a bender for three years and, and people are still hung over. And I don't, I, I don't know what that illustration means. And so, like, we, we, but we, we, we need to get back to having vibrant Christian lives, all right, where the genuineness of our faith is really demonstrated and, and the legitimacy of our conversion is seen in the practices of our faith uh, individually. All right, here's a fourth one. We expect you to care for one another. Uh, Galatians 6, 1 to 5, if you're taking notes. Bear one another's burdens. This is so awesome. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And I want to say that the way that we care for one another here at Harvest, this is really important for setting up expectations because we have aspects of our care that is very centralized. In other words, we kind of do it as the, as the big group and the staff kind of leaves it, leads it. And then we have ways that we care for you that are decentralized where we want you to care for one another. And, and in the centralized sense, we have the connect form. So we ask you, we have everyone, every week, fill in the connect form. You know, uh, use your camera to do the QR code or go on to hbc.info or use the black folder. We don't care how you do it. Just pick one of those three ways, fill in the connect form and let us know that you're here. And, and what that does is it helps us, it helps us to understand who's here, who's part of the community. The Hope Fund is part of that care. We have our Benevolent Fund where many of you give uh, generously toward that, and we use that to help out people with all sorts of needs. It's all centralized. Our staff is the one who administers that. Harvest Helps, which you saw a video um, before the service got started this morning, those of you that were here before the first song, saw a video that was promoting Harvest Helps. And that's another way. It's a centralized way of caring uh, for one another. Our biblical soul care is centralized care through our counseling team. But care is also decentralized primarily through getting into a small group. You get into a small group and now you're with 10 to 12 people a few times a month and you're studying the Bible together and praying together. You're doing life together. Uh, you're praying for one another with their needs. And when there's big challenges that come up, you're the ones who are there to care. And it's all kinds of stuff that, that we as a staff or as elders don't even know about because you're caring for one another. And in that way, it's decentralized. So that's why it's like so important that you get into a group. Because here's, here's the illustration. I want you to understand why we do care the way we're doing it. But life, I think you would agree with me, life, life is like walking a tightrope, right? It's like a gust of wind comes along. You could get blown off. And, and you're just trying to balance your way through life. And you just feel like any crisis could send you toppling off of the tightrope and, and just falling into the abyss. Well, the solution to that, of course, is that you can walk the tightrope with a lot more confidence if you know there's a net underneath you. But one of the nets that we would put underneath you is Sunday worship. Like coming on Sundays would be a net. But if you just came on Sundays and you didn't fill in the connect form, you just came on Sundays and people would see you and you'd get to know some people, maybe, uh, you know, recognize their faces and all that, but you don't get to know people really in depth. If you fell off or if some crisis happened in your life, no one would ever really know about it because you were only coming on Sundays and you hadn't really connected with anybody in any way. So it's kind of maybe somebody would say, hey, you know that person who sits over there? I haven't seen them for a while, and I wonder who they are, and if we could. So it's kind of a net if you come, but notice that that net has big holes in it, and you could fall through. So just coming on Sundays is never going to get it done in terms of care. And that's why another net that we have is the Connect form. I've already mentioned that. If you fill the Connect form in every week, 
then if you don't fill it in for three weeks, we're going to make contact. We're going to send you a text or an email or a call or send you a card and just say, hey, is everything okay? We noticed you haven't been here for three weeks. You haven't filled in the Connect form. And that's why it's so important that everyone do it every week because this is another way that the staff is seeking to make sure, our pastoral team is seeking to make sure that you're cared for if you're absent for three weeks or four weeks or six weeks or 10 weeks, we're checking in with you. And then two other nets that are, that are underneath this would be, you know, getting on a serving team or being in a small group of some kind. When you get into a group, again, you're in relationship with people, or if you're on a serving team and you don't show up for three weeks and someone says, hey, you know, so-and-so isn't here, they haven't, been in, they haven't been serving for the past three weeks. And so that provides another net that could catch you if you fell off the tightrope, if you had some kind of a crisis in your life. And so this is how we do care. And I hope that helps us to understand why it's so important that we be connected and that we set our ex expectations correctly in the right place if all we're ever doing is just showing up here on Sundays. Here's a fifth expectation. We expect you to be a dispenser of grace. And this flows out of Galatians 6 as well. Uh, we see the need for grace in restoring one another because Every single person is susceptible to screwing up. Amen? Every single person is susceptible to screwing up, right? Yeah, we're all susceptible uh, to that. And, and so, you know, this is, this is um, I, I'm going to show grace to you when you're facing challenging situations, and you're going to show grace to me, and we're going to do that because that's modeled by God who's showing so much grace to us. And so we, we're recipients of grace. We want to be dispensers of grace to one another. And, and we need that grace because this church is so far from being a perfect church, not even close to being a perfect church. In fact, we are, as one commentator said we, we, in, our, in our Luke series uh, a number of years ago, one commentator uh, used the expression that the church is a mob of misfits. And we love that phrase, and we should put it on coffee mugs and T-shirts and put a flag out in the parking lot and say, Harvest Bible Chapel, mob of misfits. That's what we are. And that way, you're welcoming everybody, and you're also communicating that everybody needs grace, not only from God, but from one another. And if you want a perfect church, by the way, if you're, if you're sitting here today and you're thinking about becoming a part of church or you're watching online right now, and, and you want a perfect church, I want to tell you this is not it, and nor will it ever be. And I also want to say that if you want a perfect church and you're not willing to change your opinion on that, I would prefer that you leave. Because we will never meet your expectations. And the problem with being a person who expects the church to be perfect is that they end up causing dissension and division in the church. And I'd rather you not be here. Go take that somewhere else. A lot of people have come and gone over the years and and some have created dissent and some have caused division because they expected something that we could never deliver. I'm not perfect. Our staff is not perfect. Our elders are a bunch of screw-ups, every one of them. They read this before I preached it and none of them said, take that out. And so lots and lots of grace needed, amen? All right, four priorities to embrace. We're going to go through the rest of this pretty quickly. Four priorities to embrace. Uh, don't miss Sunday. If that hasn't come through already, don't miss Sunday. You know, there's a reason why we serve good coffee in our cafe, and we do serve good coffee. I believe it's a tragedy when churches serve bad coffee. I mean, I just don't know why they do that. It's not hard to serve good coffee, and you ought to be serving good coffee. But it's not about coffee. It's about the, the New Testament word koinonia. It's about sharing and having all things in common. It's about wanting to hang around. And no one wants to hang around a church with bad coffee. I'm just telling you. Like, you should bring excellence to everything that you do. We want to build a fellowship here, and, and we want to have all things in common, as Acts 2, 49, uh, 42 to 47 says. We want to enjoy one another's company. And, and, you know, it's in every EB. It's right at the bottom of every EB you get on Fridays. We, we, you know, we make it really clear. On demand is good. And if you're watching on demand right now, that's good. And we're glad that you're watching on demand. And live stream is better because you're joining the church at the same time that it's meeting. So that's better. But there's no, uh, there's no um, 
way to overcome the obvious truth that in-person is best, that church is best lived life on life, person on person, us sharing and having all things uh, in common. And so make Sunday a priority. The gathered church is a God-ordained priority for every Christian. Here's a second one, four priorities. Don't miss Sunday. Get in a group. So, you know, everyone on some kind of discipleship growth plan, everybody. So whether you're in a, a, one of our home groups, like a small group, or you're in a hope group, or you're in a study group, just find a group to be a part of. And this is one of the places you're going to build closer relationships and where care will happen. And then a third, become a member. Um, and that assumes, of course, that you've um, made a profession of faith in Christ, that you've been baptized as a testimony to that, and then you become a member of the church. And this is how you identify with the church. This is how you say to everyone else around you, I'm in, I'm part of this family, and, and I'm under the authority and care of the elders and the pastoral team, um, that you're truly part of the family that we're building here. And then uh, fourth, join a team. Uh, in other words, get serving. Find a place to serve in the church. Ephesians 4, 11, and 12 says that God gave various leaders to the church to equip the saints, to equip the members of the church for the work of the ministry, and every one of us should be finding a place of service according to our gifts, our talents, and our uh, passions. This is a volunteer-based institution, led by a staff team, overseen by an elder team, empowered by the Spirit of God. The staff team facilitates the service of the members, and so everyone should be finding a place to serve. And, and if all you're doing is coming Sunday, if this hasn't already been made clear, I fear you're never really going to feel like you belong if all you ever do is connect on Sundays. And the key to, to that is, is engagement, and, and we can't compel that from you. It needs to be a personal decision that you make. It has to be something you want to do and something you decide to do. And again, if you're new to Harvest, this is going to mean taking the appropriate steps uh, to get involved in all of these ways. And if you have been here for a while, but you've fallen into this post-pandemic malaise, then the best words I can say to you are snap out of it fast, because the master's coming back, and we have to give an account. All right, three interesting things to be aware of. Um, first of all, we've changed. Now, we're a 21-year-old church, so yeah, a lot of things have changed over the 21 years. There are certain things that have not changed. The gospel has not changed the things we believe uh, from the Word of God have not changed, but a lot of things around culture and how we do things have changed over the years. But in the last three years, like so many other churches, a lot has changed for us. Uh, the pandemic and the lockdowns uh, compelled us in a certain direction, and um, our demographics and our ministry have, have, have radically changed over the last three years as a result of the pandemic. And, and, you know, one of, the, one of the things is there's just a lot of newcomers around you. So if you're new to the church and you're looking around and wondering if everyone else, you know, is in and you're not, I'm just going to tell you, they aren't. Like, there's just a lot of newcomers here. And for a lot of people who've been here a long time, they're looking around going, this doesn't even look like the same church. Because there are so many people who have joined us over the last uh, three years, almost all of you from Vaughn, Brampton, and Etobicoke. I don't know. It's just like the GTA moved up here. Um, over the last uh, three years. So we've, we've changed. We've also um, made a decision around live stream that we weren't doing that pre-pandemic and then the opportunity came. We invested a lot into it. And so it's now a part of our mission strategy as a church to continue the live stream and to continue to be reaching people through this medium uh, because this is uh, now a front door to the church and people are often watching weeks and months worth of services before they come to in-person services. So that's an awesome way uh, to reach out to the world. So uh, we've changed. Here's a second one. This is really important. We are apolitical. We are an apolitical church. And I love what Scott Saul says about this. Too conservative for liberals, too liberal for conservatives equals every Christian following the whole Jesus. Okay, there's no right or left in the kingdom of God. And, and Saul's, Saul's, by saying this, he means that the gospel transcends or rises above any political party or any ideology uh, that's out there in a way that distinguishes us as gospel people. Again, the gospel's not right or left. And in fact, both the right and the left, you can look at the left and go, you know, there's parts of things that the left says that are very gospel. And there's parts of what the right says that are very gospel. And there's things that both say that are very anti-gospel. 
And this is the challenge when Christians come to vote is there is no political party that represents what we believe. And so we're an apolitical a church um, because we're a gospel-centered church. And we'll never feel the need to respond to every political happening in the news. We're going to keep our eyes on the gospel. We are part of a world that is irreparably broken. This is what we believe in the scriptures. The world that we are living in is irreparably broken. And we are preaching the hope of Jesus Christ into the broken pieces. And the only thing that's going to restore what's broken in the world is Jesus Christ and his gospel. It's not the next government. Let's not waste our time, Christian, on political nonsense. You are not right and you are not left. You are gospel. You are Christians who embrace Jesus Christ. I feel like I almost slipped into a sermon there. Here's a third uh, interesting thing to be aware of. Um, We have a history. We have a history as a church. And I mean that like in the, the negative sense of that. Like, we have, How many people here have a history, a personal history? Just raise your hand if you have a history. Raise your hand. Okay. And all the people who didn't raise their hand, your history is that you're liars. I get it. It's, it's, it's fine. I get it. Everybody has a history. Now, the thing about our history as a church, we're leaning into our history. We're saying like we have a history. And um, I love this quote. It's from a TV show, but I love it. Uh, one of my favorite shows of all time. It's our history, better or worse, it's our history. We're not gonna lock it in the basement or brush it with a a new coat of paint. It's our history. That was Abby Bartlett in the West Wing. But Tony Morita in his book, he's a pastor down in the States uh, in an Acts 29 church. In his church, Love Your Church, uh, in his book, Love Your Church, he says uh, that the history of his local church is is part of something much bigger. It's, It's part of the story that started in Acts chapter 2 with the first church, and that all of that history rightly belongs to every local church. We're just the latest chapter in that great story that's being told. In fact, he said, when newcomers come to the church and say, oh, how long's your church been going? And instead of saying nine years, he just always says 2,000. How long's your church been around? 2,000 years. And that's because he's leaning into all of the history. And we've learned In the 21 years we've been going as a church, we've had some very dark and difficult seasons as a church. Some of you have been around long enough to have experienced those. And I'm telling you, like, I don't want to change our name and hide any of that history. I don't want to walk away from that, turn my back on and pretend like it didn't happen. I want to lean into all of that history because we learned some very hard lessons that I would not, I would rather not have to learn again. So thank you, Lord, for taking us through that hard season. Thanks for bringing us out of it rejoice in you, learn the lessons, and now feel free to talk to anybody about it because it's all covered by his grace. So we're leaning into our history. We have a history. Two big emphases to appreciate. We're going to get this done. I, I feel fully confident. Two big emphases to appreciate. Everyone plays a role in the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, just read that. All of us have gifts and all of us are expected to be part of the body and to contribute to the life of the body. Everyone plays a role in making the church what it is. And obviously, the Sunday gathering is a huge part of who we are. Because each Sunday gathering is like a a point at which I can come and recover from the last seven days. But it's also a point at which I'm getting launched into the mission of the next seven days. So we need this. We need to be here week after week. And so this is obviously like a big part of who we are. We have so many other things that we do, and there's so much of what our ministry does that's decentralized. But this right here, Sunday mornings, is so critical to who we are. And so we have to put a priority in this. We often talk about the fact we're not a big event church. You know, we don't have big events, but we have 52 big events a year on Sunday mornings when we gather together as a church. And so the two big emphases to appreciate focus on that, but then have an effect on everything else. Expository preaching. So you already know this because you're here. And expository preaching means we get the message from the text, okay? We're looking, we're opening up God's word and we're reading it. We're saying, this is the message. We're not like coming up with an idea. I don't, I don't sit in my office and think, oh, what's a good idea to preach on? And then I go here to try and find something that supports my idea. That's not expository preaching. That's not helpful. We want to get a message from the text of God's word and proclaim that. 
And so the stalk and trade of what we do is verse by verse through the scriptures, as you know. I'm currently working through Revelation. So expository preaching, proper hermeneutics or proper interpretation of the scripture, using the same hermeneutical or interpretive method throughout the entire scriptures. Employing a proper exegesis or understanding that we're getting the the plain meaning of the text. We're not looking for hidden messages. We're, We're asking ourselves the question, what did the original readers understand when they read it? And how does that now apply to our lives? And so a substantive amount of time in each service given to the preaching of the word, and that's never going to change. We're not falling into the trap that some people think that in our culture today, you know, nobody has an attention span that's going to that's keep everybody's attention for 45 or 50 minutes of preaching of God's word. We think that's nonsense. And we've proven that over the last 21 years. So we'll continue to proclaim of the word of God as we're doing, and we care about that, of the, we care about the word of God saturating every part of our ministry. And so it's not just about what we do here, but the word of God saturates everything. In our Harvest Kids, we intentionally choose curriculum that's gonna build the word of God into the children's lives. We do that in a one on Wednesday nights and at our High Five Day Camp, and we do it in in Harvest Youth, we don't have a youth ministry that's just about games and pizza and sports and hanging out. Jordan's getting the Word of God open in front of them every Tuesday night. Right now, our senior high youth are at uh, winter camp up in Muskoka. Jordan was preaching this morning to those young people. He said some amazing things have been happening in the lives of our senior highs this weekend. But it's the Word of God open to them. He's preaching there as he would preach here. The other youth pastors were preaching in all the sessions Friday and Saturday to bring about life change in the lives of these teens. It saturates everything. We craft a year-long preaching calendar. Sometimes we craft a multi-year preaching calendar where it takes longer to go through something like Luke or Acts or Revelation. We put a priority on all of this and And again, we don't tend to jump out of a series to address the issues of the day. If matters of race need to be addressed or matters of of some other justice issue or gender and sexuality, we deal with those things as they come up in the text. We don't feel like we have to address everything that's in the Toronto Star or everything that's the cause of the moment. We allow these things to come up as we systematically study the Scriptures. And then the second uh, big emphasis is contemporary worship. We keep up to date with the current worship songs that speak into our condition and the days we're living in while ensuring that those songs are theologically accurate and we're constantly evaluating that kind of thing. And not every worship song that passes itself off as a worship song is a good song theologically. Occasionally we mix in older and even historic uh, songs and hymns. In fact, this morning we sang Be Thou My Vision, which was written in the 8th century. It's a 13th hundred-year-old song that we sang uh, this morning. And, and this is one of the ways music is very polarizing because people have different opinions. Like there's even people like country music, I don't, so I don't get. But, um, but it's very, very polarizing. But one of the ways that a church keeps itself beco- from becoming a fossil, okay, becoming irrelevant is by changing the music regularly. And here at Harvest, like for good or ill, I mean, this is what we've chosen to be. Like we're a top 40 station. We're constantly like just kind of rotating the hits. Like that's our station. We're not, we're not like, um, like uh, uh, songs of the 70s, 80s, and 90s, which a lot of churches, that's what they are. Like they're just like hits of the 70s, 80s, and 90s. It's, they're retro hits. But like we're doing the top 40 stuff. Now, when I say 70s, 80s, and 90s, some churches, it's even like the 1870s, 80s, and 90s, right? Like they're into the really, really old stuff. And so we don't have, uh, you know, we don't have um, um, an attachment necessarily to just old stuff. We, we want to keep it contemporary, keep it fresh, and that actually helps us keep everything in the ministry uh, fresh and up to date with the culture around us and in the things that can actually change and should change as we contextualize the ministry that we have. Some churches have, you know, they, they would say that they have contemporary music, and that's what we would say. We have contemporary worship, but some would say they have contemporary worship, but what they really had, again, was something that they changed in the 1990s, but then really just stayed there. And so for us, it constantly has, has to change, and it's, I know that's not what all of you would want. We, you know, Shout to the Lord was a great song 30 years ago, 20 years ago, 25 years ago. 
we just, it's just not contemporary. It's not with us. That's not a contemporary song anymore. If you think that it is, it's not. Please take that away from this message, if nothing else. So the, the, Bible, the Bible is an ancient book. The gospel is an ancient message. But the church in practice should be contemporary. In other words, it should have adapted itself culturally in all the ways that, that, that that's permissible by the word. It should adapt culturally in, it, culturally in its expression of the ministry. And this, this is what we call contextualization of the mission. Like we're doing mission in, in Barrie, Ontario, Canada in the 21st century, not in 18th century Britain. And so we need to have music that reflects um, that reality. And one of the things that I love about singing the contemporary songs, like if we're singing stuff that's been written in the last year, two, three, like we're writing stuff by, by um, musicians who know exactly what's been going on the last three years. We're, we're, we're singing songs that were written by musicians who went through the pandemic like we did, who know about the Ukraine-Russian war, who know about the economic realities that many are facing, who know about the, the tragedy of, of uh, opioid use in our world, who, who, who know about all of these things. And they're writing songs that we might connect with Christ in the midst of this generation and this historical moment. And that means a lot to me because they know exactly what I'm going through. And so that helps my worship. All right, one mission to accept. And this, uh, this is, we, you know, we publish this on our website and everywhere. Uh, to make more and better disciples of Jesus who love God and love people. So we are a gospel-centered uh, church, and there's a PDF in uh, the notes that, uh, that uh, lays out in a one page our vision and values as a, as a church, a nice little synopsis there. And you'll note that both the Great Commission and the Great Commandment are built into that mission statement uh, that we are making disciples, and we're making those disciples who love God and love people. And so this means that we keep the gospel at the center of everything that we're leading people into a relationship with Jesus Christ, uh, that we want them to, to grow in him. And that is an expression of all of that mission to make disciples. We want to plant churches wherever God would allow us to do that. And that's um, especially important as we continue to develop our relationship with Acts 29, our network of churches. All right, that's our one mission. And just as we kind of wrap this up, and in just a few moments, I'm going to have three leaders come up here and, and pray uh, for us uh, to to cap all of this off, but you can really see, I hope you can see in saying all of this that we really have been entrusted quite a bit, haven't we? That God has given us so much, and you're part of that. We want you, if you're not yet a part of it, we want you to be a part of all of the adventures that God is going to lay out for us in 2023, and we want to do that until, until the master returns or until we pass from this life. We want to be faithful so that at the end, we're going to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, good and faithful church. And I want to wrap up with this. It's a quote from Charles Spurgeon. I'm going to add one little phrase to it partway through. The church is not an institution for perfect people. It is a sanctuary for sinners saved by grace, a nursery for God's sweet children to be nurtured and grow strong. It is the fold for Christ's sheep, the home for Christ's family, and an army for Christ's mission. The church is the dearest place on earth. It's Charles Spurgeon. And that's what we're desiring and striving to be as a church. And if all of that resonates with you, we're inviting you to be a part of that this year. So I'm going to invite uh, three leaders to come up here right now. Lindsay Sang is one of our small group leaders. Rob Hodgson is the chairman of our elders and Heather Hubner is a prayer warrior who every Sunday comes here bright and early and walks through this building and prays for you. So let's uh, bow our heads in prayer right now as uh, each of these three will pray um, prayers of commitment over what we've heard. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we give you thanks for um, the time here to be hearing your word and again, just being reminded of who you are. You're our master. Um, God, and we also want to hear your, vo uh, your, your heart out, that you are generous towards us, that you've given us and entrusted in us so many good things. And Lord, this is our temptation, um, Father, that we, it's so easy for us to forget that about you. And so because of that, we become protective about our resources and our time. God, we get the temptation to hide 
uh, our faith and make it a personal faith, but forget that we're really part of a family that you've mm -hmm. entrusted with us. And so, Lord, we confess that to you, and also we're so thankful that um, you have spared no nothing. Uh, you spared no cost, Lord, sending your son, Jesus Christ, to save us, to love us, give us your spirit so that we can be now freed also to serve you. And so, Father, help us for what is impossible for us, Lord. Give us your spirit to enable us, Lord, so that we can do those things that, that we are entrusted to do, that we are expected to do in this church, to be, give, to be giving, to be graceful to one another, to be caring and loving for one another in our small groups um, and in our, in our teams. So, Father, these are the things that we are asking for, and we just pray for that in the name of Jesus. Heavenly Father, we come to your throne with hearts bowed before you, our mighty, magnificent God. We come with confidence, knowing that through the sacrificial offering of Christ on our behalf, we come as children to a father. We come knowing that you see us, each of us adopted, each of us forgiven, each of us beloved. We are entrusted with the gift of the Holy Spirit. We are forever righteous, each of us wearing the blood cloak of Christ. We are beautiful. We are a polished bride, complete as in the end of time. You esteem us as your children, set apart and holy, and we thank you. This is not our own doing. Grace upon grace upon grace. Oh, Father, we ask for your forgiveness when our priorities have not been yours, for when our own desires have been exalted above yours, for when we have stubbornly or ignorantly clutched our own wills and ignored your perfect will, and for when in our apathy, criticism, and distrust, we have quenched your spirit within us. Lord, have mercy. Oh, Lord, help us to devote ourselves with one accord to your word and to prayer and to fellowship with one another. Let our hearts be encouraged and be knit together in love, full of grace and mercy towards one another. And just as your early church met together on the first day of each week, may each of us gladly make the gathering of this church our top priority. We live in a time when you have graciously allowed for alternatives, when meeting physically is impossible, and for that we praise you. But, oh Lord, help us not to make this an excuse to indulge our flesh with lesser priorities, Help us not to neglect meeting together, as some of us are in the habit of doing, but instead help us to encourage one another as we gather together, and all the more as we see the day drawing near. May we gather together in any way we can, in studies, in hope groups, in small groups, house to house, one member of your body to another. The young and the old, the frail and the strong, the introvert and the outgoing, the lonely, the brokenhearted, and the recluse. May each know that they are welcomed and needed in the fold, and may each group build bridges, for no one is an island. Help us to really know each other, and to pray for each other, and bear one another's burdens, so fulfilling the law of Christ. Keep us humble, Father, quick to forgive and slow to take offense. May our love flow through us and be born from real community and loving accountability. Help us to exhort each other every day, as long as it's called today, that none of us be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Let us never forget that where two or three are gathered in your name, there you will be among us. Iron sharpens iron, O Lord, sharpen us. And righteous Lord, help us to live unto you in every single day that you grant us. By your mercy, O God, may we present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to you. For this is our spiritual worship. Lord, help us to commit ourselves to serving you within the body that you have placed in, us in. Your words tell us that your church, your body, has many members, and the members do not all have the same function. Help us by your spirit to seek out our place in your body and serve you with the great passion and zeal that only the spirit provides. May our lives, decisions, and actions be spent glorifying you and remind us daily that we are not our own. Finally, Lord, let us not do any of these things for the praise of men. May our eyes transfix on you alone, help us to abide in you, find our worth in you, and to know that all we really need is you. 
Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power of, at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. We praise you, Father. We praise you, Lord, for who you are, that you have never changed since before you even created time to exist just for us, that you are God. And so we give you glory. We give you thanks. We thank you for this incredible gift that you loved us first, before we loved you when we did not deserve it. You loved us, and you died for us uh, to bring us to a place where we could be with you forever. And we thank you for that amazing gift that you have entrusted to us. We pray that we would have the courage to go and tell people what you are doing for us, what you have done. We pray that you would help remind us to give us the courage to tell people to come and see what you are doing now. Father, we, just, we recognize that you have placed us exactly where you want us to be, knowing our hearts, knowing our situation, in our homes, our families, our work, our school. You know exactly what we stand in need of, and especially those around us. So we pray, Father, that this, uh, this church would continue to grow and continue to use all that you've given us well. We pray, Father, that your spirit would, would do amazing work. Uh, it is you and us. It's not our skills, not our ability. Uh, it is your spirit working that changes hearts. It's your spirit that transforms lives. Uh, that, that fixes broken things. And so we call upon you to do that, just as you have promised, and that you lavish that on us far above what we would even think to ask for. And so we call for that now. We boldly, uh, we just, uh, we thank you for what you are doing. We thank you for what you are yet to do. We just pray we'd keep our eyes fixed on you, Lord, the author and perfecter of our faith. And we ask all these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. <clears throat>